Good morning. Good to see everybody today, the Lord's Day. It's always wonderful when we can gather together to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. If you're visiting with us for the very first time, a very special welcome to you, and we would invite you to stop back at the Hub uh, after the service. We'd love to chat with you, get to know you, answer any questions that you might have. And uh, as was mentioned earlier, uh, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about New Life, uh, our spiritual DNA, so to speak, we'd love to have you join us uh, at my home with my wife uh, for the discovery class coming up real soon. And so you can sign up for that back at the Hub. We are um, continuing our series in the book of Ephesians, and so uh, it's been quite a journey. We still have a couple of chapters to go, but this chapter, chapter 4 in particular, has been a wonderful chapter for us to just camp out in for a while. And if you remember two weeks ago at the start of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul uh, shared with us and exhorted us to live lives that are worthy of our calling to live in a manner worthy of our calling. And as we looked at those uh, verses in particular, we learned that one of the marks of a healthy church is unity. And we were told there that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And last week we covered verses 7 through 12 primarily, and we discovered um, that there's another mark of a healthy church, and that is diversity. And we talked specifically about the diversity of gifts within the body. This morning we will see yet another mark of a healthy church. And we're going to unpack that in just a little bit, but let's pray and ask the Lord to be our teacher this morning. Father, I thank you for this time together to worship you, this uh, opportunity we have to open up your word, allow you to speak to us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the words um, that are written on these pages, that you would just penetrate our heart with the truth that is contained therein. And Father, I pray that you would continue to move us on this path of becoming more like your Son. Lord, be our teacher. And we ask that you would just glorify yourself in all that is said and done today. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childhood or childish ways. Everybody knows that children ought to grow up. At least that's the theory. That children should grow from infancy, childhood, and adolescence into mature adulthood. Unfortunately, most of us here either Um, have experienced this or know of someone who's experienced this, that, that that doesn't necessarily hold true. That just because you get older in age doesn't necessarily mean you become more mature. In fact, many adults never do. 
The same is true spiritually in the church. When we are saved or born again, we are what the scripture says, we are babes in Christ. We are infants in Christ, and we need the milk of the word to sustain ourselves. But eventually, we are to grow up. And although we never really leave the milk of the word, eventually, we're able to go for the meat of the word. We're able to to digest more than what we did when we were children in the Lord. But again, the same unfortunate thing occurs is that within the church, there are many who have, who have been coming uh, to worship services like this for decades who have never really grown up. They're stuck in what I would call spiritual t- childhood or adolescence. I like what Warren Wearsby said in his book, Be Mature. He said, not everybody who grows old grows up. Ideally, the older we are, the more mature we should be, but too often the ideal does not become the real. And the result is problems. Problems in personal lives, in homes, and in churches. He says, as a pastor, I see more problems in these areas caused by immaturity than by anything else. If Christians would just grow up, they would become victors instead of victims. I think there's a lot of truth to what he just said there. And in our text this morning, there is an assumption that is being made, and that assumption is is that the readers have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have been saved. They have been born again. And they are beginning their journey towards Christ-likeness and and spiritual maturity. So, with that being said, if you're here this morning and you have not been born again, then all this talk about growth does not apply to you. Because you have to have been born. You've had to have come into the kingdom in order for you to begin this journey of spiritual growth. You can acquire knowledge There are a lot of people who don't know Jesus who know an awful lot about the Bible. They can quote it. They can serve in various capacities, but they can't grow spiritually until they've come into the kingdom. To reach maturity, we have to grow up. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at... uh, Primarily verses 13 through 16, but I'm going to go back and read uh, verse uh, 11 to give us the context here. So starting in verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by 
the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, if you look at verses 13 and 14, you see a contrast that Paul is making between manhood and childhood. Thus, Paul introduces the theme here in these verses, and that is the the third mark of a healthy church, and that's maturity. And for a church to be mature, the individual members of that church need to be mature. And so we're going to see four traits or characteristics um, of a spiritually mature believer. And as we go through these, I want you to kind of evaluate yourself. Do these traits characterize my life? And and it may be in different measure. There may be some here you you feel like, yeah, I'm doing really well, and other ones you're not. See if you can identify some of these. So the very first uh, thing I want you to see is that spiritually mature believers are rooted and grounded in the scriptures. They're rooted and grounded in the scriptures. This speaks to doctrinal stability. That there needs to be a stability in a believer's life over what he or she believes. Look at it again, verse 13. It says, until, this goes back to, it's connected to verse 12, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So you have the unity of the faith, you have the knowledge of the Son of God, then you jump down to verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, remember verse 12. What is the purpose of the fourfold slash fivefold, if you were here, you remember that, ministry? What's the purpose? Why did God give the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers to the church? It's right there in your text. To equip the saints. To what end? For the building up of the body of Christ. You see that wonderful connection that God gave certain individuals to the church to equip the church, the body, so that the body would do the works of service. That they would do the ministry. And so when you see that, this is what jumps off the page at me. Is that the work of ministry actually precedes maturity. Did you hear that? The work of ministry actually precedes maturity. Why? Because that key phrase, it says, until. So we're doing all of this stuff. We're equipping the saints. The saints are doing the work of the ministry until. 
So they're doing something until something else happens. And what's that? Something else. Until, until we attain something we haven't received yet, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now, I, I don't know what that does to you, but, I mean, that just kind of uh, threw my whole paradigm out the window. And maybe for some of you, too, you always thought that you had to reach a certain level of maturity before you could serve. That you had to know so much Bible before God could use you. Right? I mean, isn't, don't we feel that way? Well, I don't know enough. I can't do that. I haven't been saved long enough. Well, that's not what the Scripture says here. The Scripture says that, that ministry precedes maturity. But there are some people who've been in church for years and years and years. And they ought to be, as Scripture says, teachers by this time, but they're not. They need the elementary truths of Scripture all over again. And many times, it's those very same people who don't serve. You're never going to grow if you're not serving. If you're not using the gifts that God has given to you. But spiritual growth is much more than just gaining knowledge. So don't equate spiritual growth just with gaining knowledge. It's about having the character of Christ. And there's no better way to become like Christ than to do what he did. And that is to serve. To lay down your life. For others, to give of yourself. Service or ministry is actually a means of growth. Now, having said that, I don't want to minimize the need for knowledge because this is kind of Paul's first thing here is, is that we have to be rooted and grounded um, in sound doctrine. We attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God as we maintain the unity of the Spirit and sit under the ministry of the Word. Remember, we talked about that we have to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit until we attain the unity of the faith because there, there are a lot of things we don't understand. There will be disagreements at times, but we can still love each other. We can still have the unity that Jesus prayed for if we are diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we already concluded in verse 11 that the individuals that are listed there, their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But then the question becomes, how do they do this? It's done through the ministry of the Word. It's done through the preaching and teaching ministry of those who are gifted to do so within the local church. So we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God as we sit under the ministry of the Word. Now, sadly, um, for many Christians, um, they are unable to discern truth from error. And there are a lot of reasons for this. Number one, there are a lot of churches that don't preach the Scriptures 
or at least not what the scriptures are really saying and what they really mean. And, and there are false teachings that I think are more recognizable than others. Uh, for instance, you, you might recognize some of these, like denying that the Bible is the Word of God. I actually was a part of a denomination that used to believe that, and then they changed their doctrinal statement to say that the Bible contains the Word of God. It sounds similar, but there's a huge difference. Because if the Bible merely contains the Word of God, how do you know which parts are and which parts aren't? How about denying the virgin birth? Or denying the deity of Christ or the deity of the Holy Spirit? Denying Christ's death and resurrection? False teachers prey on individuals who are not rooted and grounded in sound doctrine. But I think that the danger of, of false teaching doesn't necessarily come from the cults um, who will knock on our doors trying to get us to believe whatever it is that they, they believe. I think the greater danger comes from preachers and worship leaders and even people in the pew of our churches on Sunday morning. What is being propagated in many so-called Christian churches is false. It's erroneous. Consider just some of these. Consider the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You have people all over, especially here in America, preaching that God wants you to be rich, filthy rich. And if you just, you know, sow the seed of $1,000, God will multiply that. Cast your bread, literally, on the waters, and it will come back to you. We're told that we can walk in divine health. We don't have to be sick. Jesus died on the cross for your physical healing, not just your spiritual healing. That's a popular teaching. And it's wrong. There's evangelical feminism or egalitarianism. There is the viewpoint on homosexuality. Not only that homosexuality is acceptable and homosexual marriage is acceptable, but we can even have homosexual pastors serving. Even the doctrine of hell as a place of eternal torment is being abandoned in the church. That used to be a characteristic of the cults. But now you have people, you know, writing books like Love Wins and, nah, hell, God, God is a God of love. He won't send anybody to hell. And if he does send anybody to hell, it won't be forever and ever. And, uh, it, you know, there'll be an end point and then everybody gets to, to, to come in. There are people who may not necessarily go that far, but that, this is where their thinking will lead them. Those who say um, there are many ways to God. I think I shared with you a while back in a, in a uh, um, Larry King interview with Joel Olstein. Joel Olstein, he was asked by Larry King, he said, hey, it has been said that you have said that there are many ways to God. What do you have to say about that? He said, I, I don't believe that. He said, I, I believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And you go, wow, I'm glad to, to hear that. But he says, but I believe that there are many ways to Jesus. 
and, 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 and we begin to see people parsing their words. And, and all of this leads to eventual universalism that, that everybody's going to go. Maybe not Hitler, but, you know, everybody else is going to go. But you know what I'm really concerned about? <laughs> More than, than even that, it's when I hear Christians, almost on a daily basis, say things like, all religions are essentially the same. In fact, I was talking with somebody Friday night who said that, yeah, they were here in this church and believed that, yeah, we're all climbing the same ladder. We're all getting there just different ways. Some people, you'll hear them say things like, well, God made me this way to justify a particular belief. Or this one here, and this was said to me. I don't care what the Scripture says. I had this experience. You see, we wouldn't necessarily classify that as false teaching, but it is false teaching. What do you mean you don't care what the Scripture says? You had this experience. Or, or how about this one? Christians aren't supposed to judge. Do you not know that you will judge men and angels? You know, just because we pull something out of context doesn't mean we can use it to suit our whims. Here's a couple of other ones that people will say. That, that, and the reason why I bring these up is because as you sit together, whether it be in a life group or over dinner together, whatever it was, you are lay preachers, whether you realize it or not. Because no sooner do you open up your mouth than you cause somebody else to see the world, or at least some small part of it, through your eyes. You have influence. That's why the scripture says we, we need to be careful about what comes out of our mouths. Here's a couple more. That's just your interpretation. That's just your interpretation. Well, you know what Peter says? No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. You want to know what the Scripture says and means? You need to read it. You need to study. You need to find out what did the author intend when he wrote it, which is ultimately what did the Holy Spirit want you to know. Or here's a little more subtle. This one is not quite as blatant as that. Is What does this verse mean to you? Or, or it's, it's whatever, it means whatever you want it to mean. Or whatever it means to you. No. That's not how you approach the Scripture. You approach the Scripture to find out what it says. And then you find out what it means. And then you ask yourself, in light of what it meant to the people who first heard it, what is the timeless truth here that applies to my life so that I can know how to apply this truth in my context? But it doesn't change the meaning of the text. There's all sorts of other whacked out beliefs that Christians have, but all of these statements all reflect a wrong-headed belief. So folks, bottom line, God's word was given to us. It is the final authority in faith and life. And this is why here at New Life, we hold to the core value of biblical authority. 
It's not our whims, our wishes, it's not our experiences, it's not our feelings that become the final authority. It's God's Word. We're we're not to judge Scripture by our experiences or our feelings. It's the other way around. Scripture judges our experiences and feelings. To reach maturity, we have to grow up. Thus, the need for solid teaching from those gifted and called to do so. But here's where it gets interesting. Here's where it gets good. That's not all that's needed. The whole body is involved in the maturation process. So spiritually mature believers need to be rooted and grounded in sound doctrine, but they also need to speak the truth in love. Look at verse 15 with me. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, the first part of verse 15 is a pretty popular uh, verse. It's quoted a lot. Most of you know it. We need to speak the truth in love. But how many of us ever realize the context that this verse is in? Um, Paul has just told us that we ought not be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by false teaching, by erroneous views. Then he says, rather, rather we should speak the truth in love. Notice he doesn't say that the pastor should speak the truth in love or the apostle or prophet or evangelist. He uses the word we. We are to grow up in every way. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. So who do we speak the truth in love to in that context? Those who are in error. Those who have a view that is opposed to Scripture. It's, it's, it's talking about correction and admonishment and exhortation. It's, it's to care enough about another individual to lovingly correct them when they are in error. We have a responsibility one to another to help each other grow in Christ and to mature by by speaking what? Truth. Now, some people can speak truth. They can give you the Bible, you know, give you the address, the reference, everything for it. But they don't necessarily speak it in love. That's a problem. Others fail to speak truth because they're afraid of hurting other people's feelings. Or perhaps they're afraid of losing the relationship. And so they remain silent. But what Paul is telling us is that we all share a responsibility, a mutual responsibility, to speak the truth in love. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be motivated by fear. Fear of what they might say, what they might think, what this might do to the relationship. I want to be motivated by love. Love 
cares enough to risk. Love cares enough to open up our mouths and to say, you know, brother, I love you, but you're off base here. That's not what Scripture teaches. Let me, let me show you. Let's look at the Scripture together. Let's talk about it. If you truly love someone, you're going to risk offending them. You're going to risk losing the relationship to see them grow. Now, a word of caution here. Some people do not have the character to do this. And that there's, there is the danger because you can, you can have the right word and, 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 and you can give it to somebody, but you can do it in the wrong way or in the wrong spirit with the wrong motive. You have to be very, very careful. What is your motive for doing this? Have you pulled the log out of your own eye before you pulled the speck out of your brother's eye? When you are able to speak the truth in love, you will have demonstrated maturity. The third thing that I see in this passage is that spiritually mature believers pursue Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Verse 13 says that until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now the maturity that Paul is speaking about here certainly applies to us individually. But the context is the corporate body. So he's talking about spiritual manhood in, 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 for the church, that the church should grow, that it's like a body, so he likens it unto a man. We need to grow into spiritual manhood. And Jesus, obviously, is the ultimate expression of maturity, isn't he? He's the person that we emulate. He's the one that we want to be most like. The goal of the Christian life is to be like Christ. And the Bible says God wants to conform us to the image of his son. We should long to be like him. We should, we should work hard to cultivate those character traits that we saw in verse 2 and verse 3. Humility and gentleness and patience and forbearing love. Christ possessed them all, and we are to emulate him. And we should long to be a servant as Jesus was. Finally, spiritual believers, spiritually mature believers, need to contribute to the growth of the body. Verse 16 says, from whom, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul is now coming back to the metaphor of, of the church as the body of Christ. And Jesus is seen as the head and we are individual members of his body. And together we contribute to the health of the body using the gifts that God has given to us for his service and his glory, but to the betterment of the church. So what, what that tells us is that we're not just dependent upon Christ. We are. 
but we are also wholly dependent upon one another. Twice in the last two verses, Paul speaks of the importance of love. Three times, if you go all the way back to verse 2. Without love, there can be no unity. Without love, our gifts mean nothing. I mean, Paul even says as much back in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you know, if I have all these gifts and I can move mountains and I have all this faith and everything else, what good is it if I don't have love? Love demands that we invest our time, our energy, our efforts, our talents, our, our treasures, our gifts to help the body mature. I like New American Standard and the NIV's translation of uh, verse 16. I'll give you the NAS first. It says, From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. See that? Being fitted and held together. So, so you and I together, we, we are fitted together by God and we supply what is needed to help the body grow. The NIV says that from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Folks, to reach maturity, we have to grow up. We can't stay as children. And Paul gives us, it's not an exhaustive list, but Paul gives us four traits here in, in these few verses of what that maturity looks like. We must be rooted and grounded in the Scriptures. We must pursue Christ's likeness. We must speak the truth in love, and we must contribute to the building up of the body of Christ so that the church might be all that God intended for it to be, so that it might reach mature manhood. I don't know if you remember, a couple weeks ago, I started out chapter 4 by talking about the body. And taking care of the body. And I said it, that's, in, that's important. We can, we can go overboard with it, but it is important to take care of the body. It's a good thing. But no matter what we do, this body is going to grow old and it's going to die. But this body is eternal. It will go on. We will go on long after this body is laid in the ground. And for this reason, we must pay more attention, more careful attention to the health of the body of Christ. It is my prayer, and I hope that it's yours too, that the body here at New Life will continue to strive after unity that we will use the diversity of gifts that God has given to us and that we will, in increasing measure, grow into spiritual manhood. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
But when I became a man, I put away childish ways. Let us no longer be children. Rather, let us grow up into every way, into Christ, who is our glorious head. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that we have in Scripture to grow up, be more like you. And Lord, that involves many things. And Lord, I'm not sure just where you have placed your finger uh, on hearts and minds of those that are gathered here, um, but I know that we all have room for growth. I know that um, we have been challenged here this morning, and I pray that you would help us apply what we've learned, that we would, we would be diligent to work hard to cultivate our relationship with you and to do the things that we discovered here this morning. Lord, thank you for the unity that we have in Christ. May we be diligent to preserve that even as we use the diversity of gifts that you have given us for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray.